Now to Columbia Business School in New York, where longtime professor Rita Gunther McGrath is one of the world's leading experts on innovation and growth during times of uncertainty. Her latest book is called Seeing Around Corners, How to Spot Inflection Points in Business Before They Happen. And Rita joins me on the line now from New York. Rita, I know you think a lot about inflection points and it strikes me we're probably on the cusp of one or we're already in it given climate change, war in Ukraine the pandemic, a cost of living crisis, an inflation crisis, and we're potentially looking at a recession ahead. Are we at an inflection point and how do we even define one? Well, that's a great question. And a lot of these trends are coming together and they, they when they do come together, that often does create an inflection point. So the way I think of inflection points is it's a 10x change in something that was once true about your business, your life, where you are in the the world, uh, it changes the parameters by this factor of 10. So 10 times faster, 10 times cheaper, 10 times more expensive. And I would say the cost of energy, for example, in Europe is building up to be an inflection point. And, you know, what's awful about it is that the, the, the transition to whatever the future is going to be is likely to be quite difficult. But the good thing is from a from an environmental and forward progress point of view, it could create a lot of very beneficial outcomes now that energy is being priced more closely to its actual uh, cost to the environment and to all of us. Um, you know, we've had cheap energy for so long, we've taken it completely for granted. And I think that's about to change. Do you think we're seeing that 10x change in other ways, you know, be it this moment of great resignation? Um, We're seeing companies having to change overnight from an office first mentality to a remote first mentality. Do you think there's other ways day to day that this 10x is coming through for people in very tangible, real ways? Yeah, I do. I think we're on the cusp of recognising that the way we work needs to change dramatically uh, for knowledge workers anyway and that we're at a very primitive stage many of us um, so if you think about just take take working separately you know people call it remote work but that implies you have a, a central location so let's say you don't even have a central location you're just very dispersed um, most of that work should actually be done asynchronously rather than this office mindset where everybody's in the office and stuff happens, but it happens kind of haphazardly. So we go to these meetings, you show up at the meeting, you're not even quite sure why you're there, um, versus being very deliberate and very mindful about when we have to be together. And most of that knowledge work, that deep work you need to do can be done quite separately. And I think we're really just beginning to learn what that kind of workplace looks like. And in this moment we find ourselves in, it was hard to be future-proofed against a pandemic, a a once-in-a-century lifetime event, whatever about recessions, whatever about one country invading another, but people still feel these shock factors. And I've heard you quote before from Hemingway's character, Mike Campbell, you know, in The Sun Also Rises, and he's responding to being asked about how he went bankrupt. And he says, gradually, then suddenly... 
Is that what's constantly happening here? Is that we should have potentially seen this inflection point coming up ahead and that 10x change, but we weren't looking at it in the right ways? I think that's true. Uh, You know, in 2017, so two, three full years before the pandemic actually occurred, there was actually a Wall Street Journal article um, talking about the high probability of a pandemic originating in East Asia, probably in China, like laying out the exact thing that was going to happen three years later. In 2015, Bill Gates very famously did a TED talk talking about this exact thing. In fact, there was enough warning that many countries in the world created pandemic response capability. Uh, And in 2017, again, in the US, the hospitals were just about to put in place protocols recommended by our um, agency for occupational safety that uh, would have allowed them to be much better prepared for the pandemic. And the administration at the time decided that wasn't necessary and dismantled it. So not only were we warned, we took action, we were getting ready to be prepared. And then people who didn't really believe this was going to take place decided not worthy, not worthy resources to do that. So it isn't that we didn't see it or that we weren't warned. It's that, you know, in the moment you have to give up something. You have to give up resources today to prepare for something that may or may not happen in the future. And that's very difficult for people to do. And that in the moment means if you're doing it well, you're constantly in two states, two modes where you're being reactive in real time, you know, doing the work, doing the thing day to day. But in the other mode, you're being proactive and preventative and thinking about the medium to long term. Do you think it's just human nature that we struggle to do both at any one time? And maybe just our muscle memory also sometimes suppresses, you know, we had the 2008 recession. We've had that crisis. Let us just have a period of being present and existing and not having to be, you know, fearful of what it is that comes next. Well, I don't think it's necessarily always being fearful. Uh, It is always being prepared and curious. And if you frame it as positive, as a puzzle, as a challenge, I think that can be much more helpful to people trying to grapple with the future. I do think, though, there's something to remember about the way our brains have evolved over the many, many, many millennia, which is really deep thinking is very energy intensive. And the way human evolution happened, and Daniel Kahneman writes about this in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Thinking fast is the least energy intensive mode of thinking. That's the off the cuff, from the gut, the immediate reaction, the what's good in the here and now. Thinking slowly, which is let's take into account the future, let's mull over different possibilities, let's take a breath, let's pause, let's really think about how this could be. That's energy intensive. And evolutionarily, if that's even a word, uh, we've evolved to conserve energy. And so anything that takes energy is hard for us. We, we, we struggle with it. Forcing yourself to take that time and that patience to slow down and say, wait a minute, you know, what, what, what are the puzzles I need to be prepared to solve in the future? That kind of thinking is much more difficult than uh, the, the sort of knee-jerk reaction, let's do this quickly and get it behind us. Because understanding these or forecasting these inflection points means in the world of business, at least, we've seen companies like Amazon, Netflix emerge. But we've also seen companies like Blockbuster, Nokia, Kodak go bust, even though they were mm-hmm. sitting on the technology. They were sitting on a model that should have given them the so-called first mover advantage. But maybe because they were guilty of 
fast thinking in the moment and not enough slow thinking about forecasting the inflection points, they were beaten by other competitors who moved faster, who were innovative, who were creative. Do you ultimately think, like when we look back to the blockbusters and Nokia's and Kodak's, they could have and should have spotted this disruptive moment up ahead and been ready for it before they got hit. Well, Kodak saw it, but there's a very interesting story about Kodak, um, and I'm very connected to them because I grew up in Rochester and my dad worked for Kodak for many, many years. They saw it, but what they ultimately did was they doubled down on a declining business. And there's a lot of backstory there, but they decided to go all in on low-cost at-home printing at the very moment when screens were becoming good enough to display images that made printing unnecessary. So I think there was a case of just strategically picking the wrong thing to focus on. Nokia is a tragedy, and I worked for them for years. Their big mistake was they doubled down, again, on on really cheap manufacturing of low-end phones at the time when the smartphone was becoming a reality. And the tragedy with Nokia was they invested billions of euro in R&D. And I remember being there in 2004, let's say, and I held in my hands what you would recognize as an iPad kind of thing. Um, It was a computer connected device with a flat screen that connected to the internet with a stylus. Um, They could not get past the commercialization. So with a lot of these companies, what you find is that they're today is so dominant in the way that they allocate resources and the way that they think that they're just not willing to invest uh, for tomorrow. Blockbuster is another really interesting one. And there's a great HBR article on this in which the guy who was the CEO at the time, John Antioco, talked about, you know, he recognized that late fees were going to be a problem and he recognized they needed to go on the internet. And he started two initiatives to do both. The parent company, Viacom, wasn't interested in the appetite to make that pain in the day to investment. Uh, They forced the company to go public. They went public at a very low multiple. An activist investor came in and said, I don't want to make these investments either. (laughs) So Antioco got fired. They brought in a new guy who said, just exploit the current business and the rest is history. So a lot of it has to do with the unwillingness to make the investment today that's going to be required to give you resiliency in the future. And if we know then through the failures of those and then others seeking and seeing the opportunities like the Amazons and the Netflix out of past inflection points, what do you think is happening right now? Like, what do you think some of these futurists, those who are future-proofing companies or coming up with new ideas and new concepts, are looking at the last two and a half years but trying to think about our world in 2025, 2030 and beyond? What do you think are some of the opportunities that should be seen today, but might only emerge in 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Oh, I think there's um, just an incredible array of new opportunities. Um, I think definitely the whole environmental space is one that is going to be spurring an awful lot of entrepreneurship and uh, innovation. I think the way that we work is going to be very different, and companies that get that right are going to have their pick of people. You know, the, the the young people are not going to want to go work for somebody that's organized like, you know, General Electric in 1950. I mean, that's that's not going to be where the future is. I think the, the really good companies today are investing in what I call options, which are small investments that pave the way for what could be a more substantial opportunity in the future. We just don't know what it is yet. I think there's going to be enormous potential in, in whatever virtual communication 
of the future is going to be. Um, and there's all kinds of advances in new materials and renewable kinds of energy. So I, I think there's just a, a massive amount of new opportunity. For someone listening today who's like, right, I want to spot those inflection points. You know, they want to pursue a passion project. They want to do a startup or they, they just are compelled to make sure they're future proofing their teams, their businesses, their companies. How do you go about even spotting those inflection points? You have this phrase, snow melts from the edges. What does that mean? Well, this draws on an inspiration from Andy Grove, who wrote the original book about strategic inflection points, which was called Only the Paranoid Survive. And he said, if you wish to know where spring is making itself felt, you must travel to the periphery because that's where the snow is most exposed. And I turned that into snow melts from the edges. And what that just basically means is that the the, the early warnings, the things that begin to give you the sense of what's changing they don't present themselves in a wrapped box at corporate headquarters <laughs> they happen out in the field where you know the, the organization and the people that work in it are really exposed to what's happening you know it's some guy on a loading dock saying well that's weird i never saw this competitor's boxes here before it's someone in a customer service call saying hang on no customers ever asked me for that before so it's those small kind of moments of wait a minute something's changing that happen right out at the edges of your organization where typically the big you know the big dog decision makers that they don't well in a normal organization they don't spend much time there and i think that's a mistake Rita McGrath, author of Seeing Around Corners and professor at Columbia Business School. Thank you so much for your insights, expertise as ever. It's been a real pleasure.